Welcome to the Word Encounter episode 168, where today we will start and complete the book of Joel. First of all, with regard to Joel, uh, we don't know that much about the prophet Joel. We know who his father was, but uh, other than that, we don't know that much about Joel. There are several people named Joel that appear in the Old Testament, but they don't. Uh, it doesn't seem like that they are this Joel. And so um, with regard to the time frame, we're not exactly sure about that either. Uh, I can say with a certain degree of certainty that he was prophesying to the northern kingdom Israel uh, prior to their uh, exile, prior to their defeat by the Assyrians. And so, but where exactly that is in the timeline is not exactly clear. And so again, Joel's main mission was to prophesy uh, to the northern kingdom. Now, he didn't prophesy anything specific either. They were more general prophecies. And so, um, and, and, and they could be applicable to the immediate future of the Israelites or applicable to sometime later on in the time of Jesus or beyond or sometime into the future. And so, again, uh, these prophecies can have multiple applications. And so what we can say is that, and this goes for uh, all of the prophets, basically, they're all, if you really listen to the word that's being prophesied, they're all really prophesying the same thing. They're prophesying a warning, they're prophesying destruction, and then they're prophesying a type of rebirth or resurrection. Um, and this is pretty much consistent with all the prophets. And they are, you know, their timelines overlap. And so we see that the prophets are prophesying to Judah, prophesying to Israel, and they are essentially prophesying similar things to all of the people. And so I think it's pretty clear that all of the people at some point in time or their, in their life are aware of these prophecies. And so, and the prophecies are consistent. And so um, to me, that's, that's very reassuring with regard to the authenticity of the Bible because we have numerous different people, different prophets, prophesying essentially similar things over a period of hundreds of years uh, to the people, and these things did come to pass. And so with that, let's get started in the book of Joel. And so we see uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. And it says, a plague of locusts. Uh, verse 2, uh, hear this, you elders. Listen, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell your children about it and let your children tell their children and their children the next generation what the devouring locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the young lo locust has eaten. What the young locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten. And so we see that this is a plague of locusts that is to come onto the land or that is coming onto the land. Now, is this an actual locust plague or is it um, symbolic of invading armies? It's not exactly sure. I think this is referring to an actual locust plague, but I don't, I don't know that for sure. And so... <clears throat> We, we drop down to verse 13, and the word says, um, Dress in sackcloth and lament, you priests. Well, you ministers of the altar, come and spend the night in sackcloth, you ministers of my God, because grain and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Announce a sacred fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the residents of the land at the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. And so this is kind of a prescription w with regard to how to appeal to God when there are... Uh, um, 
uh, catastrophes at hand, okay? It says, uh, announce a sacred fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, assembly, gather everybody, gather all the peoples, you know? And it says, at the house of your Lord, you know, so gather all the peoples in the churches, gather them all, and cry out to the Lord. The next section says, the day of the Lord. It says, woe because of that day. That day referring to that day when these locusts will swarm and, and devour everything. For the day of the Lord is near and will come as devastation from the Almighty. Hasn't the food been cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? <laughs> you know, so haven't we been experiencing uh, this bad stuff? And it says in verse 20, even the wild animals cry out to you. For the riverbeds are dried up and fire has consumed the pastures of the wilderness. And so this is a bad deal, right? So let's go to chapter 2. And chapter 2 says, uh, let's drop down to verse 12. And it says, God, uh, God's, excuse me, God's call for repentance. And the word says, even now, even now when? Even now in the midst of all of this catastrophic destruction, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. It says, even during this time, it's still not too late. Even though we're experiencing this, it's still not too late. Turn to the Lord with everything you got. That's what it's saying. And then in uh, verse 13, it says, tear your hearts, not just your clothes. <laughs> so because the practice in the old day was to tear your clothes as a sign of of being um, uh, ashamed and, and repentant and, and, and devastated. And so it says, tear your hearts, not just your clothes. To return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faith, in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. In other words, it's indicating here, look, tear your heart. Be really um, mournful in your heart, sincerely mournful in your heart. And who knows? And a matter of fact, the next verse says, 14 says, who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. See, it's never too late. Return to the Lord. Even in the midst of all these catastrophic circumstances, turn to the Lord, and who knows? He may relent. You know, our time in this time may be cut short. You know, maybe we can quit experiencing uh, this disaster. It says, and, and maybe, not only might it, the time be cut short, but maybe he might leave a blessing in return. He might turn this disaster, and on top of that, leave a blessing. Who knows? And then it says, so you can offer a grain offering and a drink offering to the Lord your God. Verse 15, blow the ram's horn in Zion, announce a sacred fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the infants, even babies nursing at the breast. Let the groom leave his bride, uh, <laughs> let the groom leave his bedroom and the bride her honeymoon chamber. Let the pre in other words, let nothing stop people from gathering. Everybody, no matter what you're doing, drop it. Come and gather. Let the priest, the Lord ministers, weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, have pity on your people, Lord, and do not make your inheritance a disgrace, an object of scorn among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? And so the priests are to cry out to the Lord. You know, why should other people look at us and wonder, well, where is their God? Look at what they're going through. So priests make an appeal to the Lord, you know, for your namesake, save your people. 
The next section says God's response to his people in verse 18. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and spared his people. The Lord answered his people, look, I am about to send you grain, new wine, and fresh oil. You will be satiated with them. You will no longer make you, uh, I will no longer make you a disgrace amongst the nations. And so in the view of other people, I'm no longer going to make you a disgrace. I'm going to come down and I'm going to satisfy all of your needs. Let's see, verse 23. Uh, Yes, verse 23 says, Children of Zion, rejoice and be glad in the Lord your God, because he gives you the autumn rain for your vindication. He sends flowers for you, both autumn and spring rain as before. Verse 25 says, I will repay you for the years that the swarming locusts ate, the young locusts, the destroying locusts, and the devouring locusts my great army that I sent against you. See, so the Lord is saying, look, you experienced this pain because I sent my great army against you because of your sin and wickedness. Uh, I forgot to say in the beginning, this is during the time period when Israel was prosperous. See, but they were prosperous, so they forgot the Lord. And so he sent this army against them as, uh, as you know, punishment, if you will, for their behavior, for their attitude, really. And he says, but I will repay you for the years that the swarming locusts ate, the young locusts, the destroying locusts, the devouring locusts, my great army I sent against you. So he says, I'm going to repay you for the years that you spent under that time, under that siege. He says, I'm going to make you whole again. <clears throat> the Lord was always gracious to his people. And it says, um, God's promise of his spirit. In verse 28, after this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. I will display wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, for there will be an escape from those for those uh, on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, as the Lord promised among the survivors, the Lord calls. And so, again, this has parallel meanings. Okay, this could mean in the near term future or in times yet to come. You know, so we have to be cognizant of that. In chapter 3, it says judgment of the nations. Verse 1, yes, uh, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, again, in those days and at that time, it could have multiple meanings. I will gather all the nations and take them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will enter into judgment with them there because of my people, my inheritance, Israel. The nations have scattered the Israelites in foreign countries and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people. They bartered a boy for a prostitute and sold a girl uh, for wine to drink. In other words, he's saying, look, these other nations, they've gathered up my people, and then they start ransoming off, auctioning off my people. A boy for a prostitute, you know, a girl for a bottle of wine. You know, they start trading my people for stuff, these other nations. And it says... In verse 12, it says, let the nations be roused and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit down to judge all the surrounding nations. And so the, na- the Lord is saying, look, I'm going to gather all these nations and judge them. 
And then it says in verse 17, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem will be holy and foreigners will never overrun it again. And so that is the promise of the Lord. And that is the end of the book of Amos. And so let's keep going. Let's go in. Let's start the book. Excuse me. That's the end of the book of um, of Joel. So let's go into the book of Amos. And we see that Amos here was a prophet of the Lord, but he was initially a sheep breeder, a sheep herder. And the time period is, is, is roughly during the time of Jeroboam. You know, and so uh, this is before the the um, uh, the people were exiled, and so it's in that time frame, and it says, um, you know, it's the same sort of thing. You know, he's going to prophesy about the wickedness of the people and 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 what's to come, you know, and give opportunity for people to turn from their wicked ways. So let's go on. Chapter one: The words of Amos, who was one of the sheep breeders from Tekoa. Uh, what he saw regarding Israel in the days of King Uzziah of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, um, uh, Jehoash, excuse me, uh, son of Israel, excuse, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Uh, apparently, this earthquake was a significant thing. In verse two, it says, he said, the Lord roars, roars from Zion and makes his voice heard from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the summit uh, and the summit of Carmel withers. And let me uh, back up for a second, because while um, Joel prophesied mainly to the Israelites in the north, Amos is is prophesying mainly uh, to the Judeans in the south. And so here we go in verse 3. It says, the Lord says, I will not relent. Wait a minute. Is that true? I think that's true. Uh, Yeah, I think that's true, who, who Amos was prophesying to. But... I may get clarity as we go along. Uh, verse three, the Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Damascus. Damascus was a city, the capital of Aram uh, for the three. For, and this is commonly said for three, for three crimes, even four, because they thrust Gilead with iron sledges. And then it says in verse six, the Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Gaza for three crimes, even four, because they exiled the whole community, handing them over to Edom. Uh, the, the phrase three uh, crimes, even four indicates um, massive criminal behavior. <laughs> in other words, not something minor, but something uh, uh, significant and probably ongoing. OK, and then we drop down to verse nine. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Tyre for three crimes, even four, because they handed over a whole community of exiles to Edom and broke a treaty of brotherhood. It says in verse 11, the Lord says, I will not relent from uh, from punishing Edom for three crimes, even four, because he punished his brother with the sword. He stifled his compassion. His anger tore at him continually, and he harbored his rage incessantly. So remember, Edom is a descendant from Esau, and they should have been allies with the Israelites. Instead, they were their enemies. And so it says, because he pursued his brother with the sword, and that's what it's talking about. In verse 13, the Lord says, I will not relent from punishing the Ammonites for three crimes, even four, because they ripped open the pregnant woman of Gilead and, uh, in order to enlarge their territory. Let's go on to chapter two. It says, the Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Moab for three crimes, even four, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. 
the next section says judgment on Judah. In verse 4, it says, The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Judah for three crimes, even four, because they rejected the instruction of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. The lies that their ancestors followed have led them astray. Judgment on Israel. Chapter uh, verse six says, the Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Israel for three crimes, even four, because they sell a righteous person for silver and a needy person for a pair of sandals. (laughs) They trample the heads of the poor on the dust of the ground and, and obstruct the path of the needy. A man and his father have sexual relations with the same girl, profaning my holy name. They stretch out beside every altar on garments taken as collateral, and in the house of their God they drink wine obtained uh, through fees. Yet I destroyed the Ammonite as Israel uh, advanced. His height was like the cedars, his being the Ammonite. In other words, the, the, the Amorite was, was, was a, a big obstacle. And the Lord is saying, I destroyed the Amorite as Israel advanced. As you were going forth, I destroyed a huge enemy. His height was like the cedars, and he was sturdy as oaks. I destroyed his fruit from uh, I, dest- I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. So the Lord is saying, I totally wiped out this huge enemy of yours, and I brought you from the land of Egypt and led you forty years in the wilderness in order to possess the land of the Amorite. And so the Lord is saying, Look, I brought you out of Egypt, I brought you out of slavery, and 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 because of your sin and whatnot, you had to wander in the in the desert for 40 years, but I still brought you out. And after that time, you know, I identified a land for you and I cleared the people, the mighty people that were in that land, I cleared them for you. It says, I raised up um, some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is this not the case, Israelites? And so the Lord has condensed the history and says, look, this is what I've done and this is what happened. Isn't this true, Israel? Then he says in verse 12, but you made the Nazarites drink wine. See, when you were a a Nazarite, there was a pledge that for your entire life you were to not drink alcohol. That was a part of their pledge. Another one was to their hair wouldn't be cut or something like that because Samson was a Nazarite and so that their hair wouldn't be cut. And and so these were some of the vows of the Nazarite. And he says, but you made the Nazarites drink wine. In other words, you made them do what they vowed not to do. You forced them to do it. And it says, and you commanded the prophets, do not prophesy. The Lord is saying, look, I identified these people as prophets to be my oracles, to speak my word. But you demanded that they not prophesy. So you made the Nazarites drink, even though they vowed not to drink, you made them. And then you demanded that the prophets not prophesy, even though that's what I commanded them to do. In other words, you've been working against me. (laughs) You're my enemy. It says in verse 13, look, I'm about to crush you in your place as a wagon crushes when full of grain. So when a wagon is as a wagon is heavy with with grain and it is being crushed under the weight, that's the way I'm going to crush you. I'm going to crush you under my weight. Verse 16, and it says, even the most courageous of the warriors will flee naked on that day. This is the Lord's declaration. Such is going to be the pressure that even the most courageous will flee naked on that day. Let's go to chapter 3. And chapter 3 says, 
God's reasons for punishing Israel. I think we just read a bunch of them. <laughs> but anyway, it says, listen to this message that the Lord has spoken against you, Israelites, against the entire clan that I brought from the land of Egypt. Verse 2, I have known only you out of all the clans of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So the Lord is saying, out of all the clans, out of all the tribes, out of all the peoples of the earth, I identified you as my people. But because you haven't done what I instructed you to do repeatedly over centuries, <laughs> it says, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Verse 3, can two walk together without agreeing to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? If a ram's horn is blown in a city, aren't people afraid? Verse 7, indeed, the Lord does nothing without revealing his counsel to his servants, the prophets. And so we see here that he's drawing these analogies. You know, when a ram's horn blows, people hear it, they take it as a warning, you know. And then it says, when a lion, uh, does a lion in the forest, does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? In other words, these two things are going together. See, when a lion's roaring in the forest, that means he has prey. A lion doesn't roar if he doesn't have any prey. It says, can two people walk without meeting? Can two people walk together without agreeing to meet? So you got to meet in order to walk together. And so he's saying, you know, I decide I have determined not to do anything without first revealing it to my prophets. This is what God is saying. Has this changed today? Nowhere in the word does it say that this isn't the case anymore. So what that tells me is that even today, God doesn't do anything without first revealing it to his prophets. The problem we have today is a lot of people are calling themselves prophets. You know, and how do we know that somebody is a prophet? If somebody says something that is to come and it comes to pass, then yes, they have heard from the Lord. <laughs> you know, if they haven't. Now, can imagine, let's go back to, let's say, 10 years ago, 2010. Let's say somebody was prophesying that in 2020, there would come this worldwide pandemic, see, and people would be locked in their homes, advised not to go anywhere. Also in the United States, there would be civil unrest. There would be racial unrest because these things would happen over the summer of 2020. And there would be the most contentious election for president in the history of the country. It will be this man, and he might you know, offer some details against this man and offer some details. Let's say this was spoken 10 years ago, and then here we sit today in January of 2021. And if we were to look back at that prophecy, we would be like, oh my goodness, this has got to be a prophet of the Lord. Because not only did he spoke about what would happen, he spoke about it in detail. Well, that's what was happening then. See, the prophets were speaking about future events in detail. And they came to pass. It says in verse 8, it says, A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who will not prophesy? See, in other words, it says, just as a lion roars and people get afraid, when the Lord speaks, somebody has to prophesy because that's the way he set it up. It says in verse 10, the people are incapable of doing right. Incapable 
The people are incapable of doing right. Therefore, the Lord God says, an enemy will surround the land. He will destroy your strongholds and plunder your citadels. And so because the people are incapable of doing uh, right, then this is what will happen. You know, they were so infested with evilness and wickedness that doing right was no longer a viable option. They couldn't. And so therefore, what will happen is an enemy, enemy will surround the land and destroy it. And great houses will come to an end. So with that, we're going to stop today. That's in Amos chapter 3. We'll pick it up in Amos chapter 4 tomorrow. It says social and spiritual corruption. And so that is what we will start off with tomorrow. Again, Romans chapter 10. The message is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim, we being believers. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. End of story. In verse 10, it says, One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. It says everyone who calls on him will not be put to shame because there's, there's a no distinction between Jew and Greek. See? So it doesn't matter who you are. For the, uh, since there is no distinction between uh, Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him, because the same God blesses everybody who calls on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, period, end of story. Make that confession even if you've made it before. Keep confessing because we, we, we learn best when we hear and hear and hear and hear and hear and hear and hear. It, we just make reinforcements in our own head, in our own mind. And that is what we want to do. So with that, everybody stay safe, be blessed, thank God, and we'll see you tomorrow in episode 169. Bye-bye now.